0: The first 30 days of sobriety are often the hardest. It means getting through cravings, making huge changes in your life and in your mindset, and sticking with the promise you made to yourself to stop drinking alcohol. When you have no idea what to expect, so many different things can throw you off course in those first 30 days. So we've gathered some people to talk about what the first 30 days looked like for them, to give you some insight so you can go into this prepared for the challenges.
1: Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, but it's also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Steve and Julie. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full there's no space left for alcohol.
0: Before we get started, we want to remind you that we've started a Facebook group just for you, our listeners, to get support as you make your way through this sober journey. You can find the link on our Facebook page and it's also linked in the show notes. Right, So first, I want to kick this off with wishing everybody a happy new year. We are recording this episode a little early, so we're kicking off 2024, you know, a little bit early, but this is awesome. We're so excited to be here and we had a little bit of a switch up in guests last minute, but we are all about being flexible here. It's like one of the things we learn in recovery, right? So yeah, we're going to go ahead and do our introductions. I'm going to start with Brandon.
2: How Hi, are you everybody. <laughs> Hi, Julie. So yeah, my name is Brandon. I'm 29 years old. I've been sober for 11 months now and it's been just an incredible journey. I uh, first started using drugs and alcohol when I was 15 years old and struggled all the time. Went through multiple rehabs as an adolescent, struggled through high school, college, using, doing anything. I, I went through all the phases, right? Marijuana, alcohol psychedelic drugs cocaine heroin prescription pills you name it i've probably tried it and i've been there and i've been addicted to it at one point point. and um it wasn't until about a year ago that i i got sick of it I, I i was going through withdrawals again and i was like man i just uh i don't i don't want to do this until i die i i don't want to keep being maybe okay for a little bit and then you know having having to go through a rehab or maybe just dying. Maybe I won't make it to another rehab or maybe I won't won't come out of it and snap out of it. So got it together, got an awesome mentor, started taking my physical health seriously, making some goals for myself, uh, applying a lot of techniques that I've discovered over the last few years. I'd already been meditating and I had a great deal of tools in the bag, right? Like some good habits, but with like binge drinking and drug use. So there was a foundation. And like a but I was like I just got sick of it. I said, let's get rid of all of it and let's really try this thing. And um it's life has been great since then. I've also lost fifty five pounds in the last eleven months. Amazing. I've completed an Ironman triathlon. I'm at the the top in in my career as a salesperson. I feel great. I'm mentoring other people, getting on more podcasts, coaching, building towards a future that I, I've always wanted for myself and uh leading others throughout you know, alongside me. It it feels really great. And I'm just super grateful to be here and, uh, you know, be a part of this discussion today. So thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're so happy to have you. That's an awesome story. I'm so happy to hear that you managed to find your way into all of this at 29 years old. To me, that is amazing. And it just makes me so happy for you. So yeah, really cool story. Thank you so much for sharing all of that
1: i'm sitting here i'm sitting here thinking that exact same thing anytime i i, I hear someone in their 20s or early 30s it just you just makes my heart sing dude it yeah. just makes my heart sing because i'm i'm julie and myself we're both early 40s to get those 10 years back what a gift you're giving yourself dude what a yeah. gift
0: thanks yeah, man. absolutely really really cool super excited to have you here too thank you so much for making the time And then next, we're going to go with Jonas. Would you like to introduce yourself?
3: Sure, 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 sure. Hi, I'm an addict. My name's Jonas. My story starts off the streets of Camden, New Jersey, which was my last sidewalk to sleep on. And that was 1987. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get on a plane and um, wound up in uh, what we call Destination Rehab, Delray Beach, Florida, and have been here since and have maintained an active recovery program since getting off that plane. And um, recovery has been very, very good to me. And and this is some of that good. This, you'll hear from her a minute, maybe two minutes um, <laughs> It depends. It's been an incredible journey of, of now. We, we both just celebrated. I made 36 years just to keep the math in check for y'all. You, you don't have to get your calculators out. Which is a long fucking time. It's a it's a long time, and yeah. you can tell with the gray beard and and, and a lot more forehead um, that that re- recovery has has really shown its its colors for me. It's it's been wonderful. A, a lot of life showing up, like you said, a lot of life showing up. And and part of the message that I have to share is is that no matter how life shows up, it's possible to get through it without getting high. Mm -hmm. Um, Then that's that that I can share, and as maybe as as time permits, whatever um, evolves from our conversation, I'll share some of that. Lots and lots of ups and lots of things that are not so up, um, you know, along the way. And as you can imagine, but there's been nothing like it. There's nothing like growing up. Finally, right? Yeah. Finally, and and I started in my early 30s, and I celebrated my first, uh, my 34th birthday or 33. I don't know, drunk free for the first time, and 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 it was around this time of year, right? That then I got got in recovery. Every time this year, I go into this kind of like dive of like remembering and and another grief process that happens of like, oh, I gave up being irresponsible. I can't believe I did that. Why would I want to do that? It was so attractive. And now on the other side of it, you get different news in the emails and phones and technology that brings us together tonight. So um, thanks for having me and um, I'll pass.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. And then we are going to be joined by Jonas's partner, Suzanne, which is a little bit last minute. And I'm so grateful that you're willing to jump in with us. So we would love to hear a little bit of your story too.
4: Okay, I am Suzanne. I'm 26 years sober. I got sober in Key West, Florida, and you know my life began when that happened. You know, i i was a I was a survivor. I knew how to survive. I was a great survivor, and then I had a baby at 40, and my life changed. And you know, wasn't about me anymore. And it was my daughter was my gift because she got. I went into the rooms because of that and it's been amazing you know it was the first you know I'm I'm one of six children and it was the first time I ever felt connected anywhere you know and loved and not judged and unconditional and you know I was also brought up Catholic and I never found God till I walked into the rooms you know, and I went to Catholic schools. I even went to Catholic college, you know, but never found God till I came into the rooms. And it was, you know, he spoke through all of you, you know, to me, because I never, he never talked to me before then. You know, I was trying, but he wasn't talking. Or I didn't know how to listen And that. Uh, you know, it's been an awesome journey. And again, life, you know, life shows up and I've been able to walk through everything that's happened, and there's been ups and a lot of downs, and I'm never alone, you know? I'm always, someone's always there with me. And, uh, you know, I waited a long time to have this great relationship, you know? We're in recovery, and it's awesome, you know? And it's not, it doesn't take a lot of work, you know? It's, we can be ourselves, and it's beautiful. So thank you.
1: Awesome, it's honest, it's beautiful. Yeah. Everything you wished it could probably be a really long time ago. I feel you. I feel your words when you say that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Really cool. Well, I am so glad to have all three of you here with us today. This episode is coming out on New Year's Day. So we wanted to talk about something pertinent to all of the people who have made quitting alcohol their New Year's resolution. I will tell you now, this is probably going to be our most listened to episode all year. That's how it seems to go. No so,
2: pressure. No <laughs> it's pressure. Not at better all. be
0: good. You guys better make it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but on that note, the topic for this episode is surviving the first 30 days of sobriety. What did that look like for you? What challenges did you have to overcome? What did you learn? What can you share with all of our listeners who have decided that this is the day that they are going to stop drinking? Let's try to make it a little bit easier for them and just share some insight um, as much as we can.
4: I had something really quick to share. Go. You yeah. know, the thing that happened for me when I first walked in was, you know, I worried my whole life. My whole life, all I did was worry. And they told me, never have to worry about anything the rest of your life as long as you don't pick up a drug or a drink and you take the next right action and we will show you what that is till you intuitively know. And I said, no, no, you don't get it. I got the IRS after me. I got this. I got that. I just had a baby. I got to get her to call, you know, everything. And they said, stop. You never have to worry about anything the rest of your life as long. And they went through it and through it. And after 20 minutes, I said, are you telling me? I don't have to worry, and they said, "That's right, you don't." And this weight came off my shoulders that I'd been carrying all my life, and I I floated back to work that day, and I'll I'll never forget it. It was so beautiful, and I got back to work. You know, the phone's ringing. I opened the door, and I pick up the phone, and it's the IRS, and I went right back to that worry, and I said you know what? I'm going to that meeting tomorrow because I want to feel <laughs> that peace and serenity. And I did that every day for years. And my peace just got larger and larger and all that stuff we handled, you know, and it was beautiful. So you never give up and just don't, you know, and it really taught me to be in the moment. So yeah. it's quite beautiful.
0: That reminds me a little bit of. So I never did AA. I've never had any experience with it, but I, I I am very familiar with a lot of the AA cliches, and they're they're great. They're cliches for a reason, right? It's because they're they're generally true. But I remember the first time somebody told me, "You never have to feel this way again," and you know, I was I was drowning in regret and shame and all of the things that come with you know ever your rock bottom. And I remember somebody saying that to me, and to me that was like so full of hope. That was, we were, Steve and I were just talking before we hit record or before you guys showed up. I remember this, this day that I had been drinking whiskey out of a bottle in bed. My husband was out of town and finished the bottle. It was empty. So I shoved it under the bed um, and passed out. And then I got up in the morning and I did all my mom things, right? I was out there doing all the things I needed to do. I left the house. I was running errands and running kids everywhere. And then my husband was coming home that day. And I remembered that bottle under the bed. And all I could think about was, oh my God, what if he finds that? Like he's going to know, he's going to find out, he's going to realize that, you know, I have a problem. This is my big secret and all my shame, right? And that feeling in the pit of your stomach that you're just terrified somebody is finally going to catch you. And I remember feeling that way all day long. And that's one of my favorite things about getting sober and, and about sticking with it is that I don't have to feel that way anymore. I don't have that sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach and the constant anxiety and worry that someone's going to find out. Like I'm free from that. And that is an amazing feeling to be free from hiding everything. And it's freedom. It's real freedom. That's what we get.
3: And then you
4: never know you had a choice. You have a choice today. So it's quick. Go ahead. And I I got the
3: email when you introduced the topic, and um, I've been contemplating my contributions, and I can easily go back. I'm a firm believer: if you don't abandon the basics, you never have to go back to them. So for me, the basics was coming off of that sidewalk in Camden. If you don't, if nobody's familiar with Camden, think of the worst area of your metropolitan city, and then multiply it by ten. It's like Newark, but a small microcosm. But the whole city's like that, right? So, so I'm on the street, and I'm, 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 I'm using to live, right? And 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 that's how it's going at that point. That whole thing, I'm not living to use anymore because that ended a long time prior. Now I'm using just to live because I'm strung out, and um, and I had this opportunity. And and when recovery started for me, when when I got out of the institutions. So I got in the institutional setting in like mid October of eighty seven, and then I, I kept kept fighting with them because like this bullshit, you're asking me to pay for something that is free in the community. You're just, and this is it, Dan. You know, I had this radical opinion about the whole industry. Aside from that, I I, I it really started when I went to the New Year's Eve dance, and I was like hot shit, you know, where you can actually start doing stuff. Cause you're not in an institution now, and look at the girls and try to get laid again, and all the things that wake up in early recovery. Because that what's wakes up in early recovery for all of us, in men and women. We have this some libido just sounds like fire, like you're a teenager again. Which for me was true, because I was been using since I'm 12. So what do I know about anything? I know she's pretty, right? I know that <laughs> doing that, in in I never struggled because I had come to a place that I had surrendered. I had completely surrendered by the time I got to that point. So it was it was unconditional. It was just there was no holds barred on whether I was going to use or not use. Because living and dying was at the, at the crux of it all. It wasn't about oh I'm going to be able to relapse and, and use again. It wasn't. really And this was pre fentanyl and pre overdosing. So, you know, this is pre all that shit. This is back in. Like, you know, people would come and go and get white key tags at random. I mean, it was just happening very frequently. So I never wanted to use again because I, I wanted that freedom that they promised me, right? They said, if you just take the um, uh, cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth and just shut the fuck up, which which I had a tendency to talk a lot because I was cold turkey off of methadone. So I was like in this manic phase for like months, for like months, I was just running around and not sleeping and talking and running around. And and I learned to do that for that hour right in the meetings. And I I went religiously. I I listened and learned that I could put myself on a short clock. Because when people are listening to this, it's New Year's Day. They've made that resolution. I remember making that same resolution when I was like looking for my set of works in a dumpster that I was never going to use again. Or I was on the side of the highway with a flashlight looking for the same things that I had thrown out and I was never going to use again. And I i really meant it. And, and I just never learned how to stay drug-free until I got into the room. That's what the gift has been. So if somebody's new and they're listening to this, it, you know, it's a short clock. And for me, it was a 10-minute clock. That was the best tool I could give myself was a 10-minute clock. Because if I can do 10 minutes, I can do another 10 minutes. I didn't have to do the rest of my life because that's what they say. Oh, you know I mean? You can't use the rest of your life, or you'll die. Well, that's just not true. But you can definitely succeed. And I built my self esteem a little bit at a time. i little a microcosmic minutes that seemed hours, seemed hours sometimes. That I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do. I don't want to do this anymore. And and, and yet the rewards of not using again were so phenomenal. That freedom that Suzanne experienced, I had that finally. And, and, and the shame that you mentioned was overwhelming. I mean, that's why I kept using, I mean, this was like the, the shame that I compounded on myself was just so, what I thought was horrendous until I got there and listened to other people and their stories and said, well, if they can do it, I can try my hardest. And that's all I had to do, right? Try my hardest to make 10 minutes. And every 10 minutes, I would say another 10. And and that's that was the best gift I could give myself. That's my contribution about that right in the beginning, because people are going to hear that and say, oh yeah, that'll work.
1: We we have a friend who, her name on the I'm Sober app is 10 seconds at a time.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and there were times where I had to take it 10 seconds at a time. And that's, those 10 seconds feel like a long time but it doesn't last forever. It might take 10 minutes. That 10 that ten minutes might feel like a half a dang day, but I can get through that craving or that urge or whatever it is. But Brendan, I'm going to give this floor to you.
2: Oh yeah, no, sure. No, these, these are some great topics and uh, I can definitely relate to the shame and guilt aspect. And I believe that the recovery really started for me like, okay, of course the decision to be abstinent, right? But when the magic started happening, it was when I was meeting with my mentor, who was also a person in recovery. He's uh, phenomenal. His name is Muhammad. And uh, the guy's great. He's just a, a guy who does what he says he's going to do. And he's he's unconventional. He doesn't give a shit. He's the fucking man. And he told me, he's like, you don't fucking respect yourself. And that really hurt my ego. I, uh, I was at a lull. I was... Also overeating. I noticed immediately after I got sober from drugs and alcohol that I was just binge eating food for pleasure and I was getting fat and I was, now I was sober, fat and miserable. And I was just like, Oh, this, like, this isn't, I don't believe that people get clean from drugs and alcohol to be miserable. And, um, I had a really, I had a difficult time sitting with that, but he had to tell me, he's like, listen, man, You can hear my cat meowing. (laughs) It's going to be on the podcast. He said, "Listen, man, you don't fucking respect yourself." And uh, I sat with that, and I agreed. And we determined that the best way to handle that is to start proving it. Right? You can't just create self-respect out of thin air. You need to actually prove it to yourself by your actions. Right? This is this is how we we stack wins. So. Is something as little as making your bed in the morning, you know, right when you wake up saying, Hey, I'm going to make my fucking bed and you make your bed. That's a win. You're showing respect for yourself. You're showing respect for your environment. Um, furthermore, like right, I, I knew when I had already been doing this is having a gratitude list, showing some gratitude to get your mind, your mindset, right? When you wake up from a place of like, not like why me or like blah, 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 or anxiety and fear and loathing, but a place of like, I'm really grateful I'm alive today and I'm grateful for everyone that I have in my life. And here's a list of three things that I'm grateful for. So those two things have made it um, a tremendous impact and then getting the body right. So now, now that we know we don't respect ourselves, right? What can we do to get the body right? And that was creating a macronutrient plan saying like, here's the foods I'm going to eat. Here's what I'm going to shop. He gave me a shopping list. He said, here's, here's what you're going to hit for carbohydrates, for proteins, for fats. Here's your target weight goal. You're going to go to the gym. You're going to do these things, right? Which seems like a tall order at first, but by simply showing up, going to the gym, you 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 can form these micro habits, right? There's a great book written called Atomic Habits, and um, it's, you know, there's just there's a plethora of information there. It talks about habit stacking and things that we can do to make it easier to do the next right thing. And I believe that incorporating a lot of these concepts, by incorporating a lot of these concepts. Doing the right things and having the right mentorship to guide us and hold us accountable. I mean, we're you're basically a force to be reckoned with at that point. And if you can start proving to yourself through daily small wins and atomic habits that you do respect yourself through somebody that makes, that does what they set out to do, you'll have a tremendous, you'll see tremendous improvement in my, in your mindset will be shifting drastically within the first 30 days, but you need to prove that. So, you know, I would encourage anybody who, is waiting a month to do something about their situation to like not do that and start doing it tomorrow. Like wake up if you're not somebody who makes your bed, make your bed, write a gratitude list, go to a meeting and start start proving yourself that you respect yourself enough to follow through with something and do it now. Don't wait till January 1st because that kind of thinking is the same thinking that got us drinking and justifying and justifying pushing things off anyways. So um you know that's that's what i would encourage i guess that, that's my share on the topic for right now so thanks for letting me share that and being yes. patient with my squeaky squeaky cat
0: we can't hear it but we i love can. that we can see you moving your cat over you see cat over cat. and over he's while you're talking <laughs> we can't hear it though he's so that's
2: funny, funny. My that's where he's being the most active and he's knocking shit off my table it's like he knows he's like oh i'm gonna fuck with you now that's <laughs> so, so funny my first Oh, go ahead. Go you
1: ahead, go. You, you,
0: you go. I was just going to say one of the things that I say a lot, like so many people that are are drinking struggle with self-esteem, right? With self-worth the way. And, and I say this is similar to what you said, Brandon. I tell people the way you build your self-worth is by keeping promises to yourself, mm-hmm. right? We will keep a promise to anybody if we have the opportunity to do that. If we tell someone we're going to do something, we're going to bend over backwards to make that happen for them, but when it comes to ourselves, we don't usually do that. And we need to start keeping promises to ourselves. Um, and that starts with, for you know, like you said, you're going to commit to making your bed every day or you're going to commit to whatever change it is. In this case, you're going to commit to not drinking anymore. Your self-worth just skyrockets so fast when you keep that promise to yourself. And when you make it through a craving and you've kept that promise, your self-worth builds and it gets easier to, to do the right thing for yourself. And then the other thing I was going to say, you're talking about diet and, and all that. Mm. When I quit drinking, there was no way I was going to diet. For me, it was like, I needed to focus on just not drinking. If that meant I was going to eat all the okay. Skittles in the world, I ate all the Skittles in the world. And everybody's different, right? But yeah. for me, like... There was no way. I know people who they're like, "I'm gonna quit drinking, and I'm gonna quit eating sugar, and I'm gonna quit smoking, and I'm gonna, you know, start exercising." And I'm like, "Just stop doing all the things and pick the most important. What's most likely to kill you first? Alcohol or or drugs or or whatever your you know your thing is. That's most likely to kill you first. So just start with that. And and there are other people who thrive on on the exercise and the diet with it. But for me that would I I would have just quit all of it I would have been like fuck this yeah. there's Very no way yeah and so for me like it was it was all about just alcohol and once I felt like I had a handle on that after like 90 days then I, I decided I was ready to quit the skittles
2: yeah no that's, that's- it was mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so and for sure everybody has their own way of doing it but yeah that was my thing there was no way I was going to add anything else because alcohol was gotcha. all I could handle
2: so our friend, John, he's, like he's got a similar mindset with that. He, he's, he's actually working on a book right now called the, like, I believe it's called the hierarchy of vices, where he talks about how he kind of tackled it one by one. So it's one of my best friends and he, he has more of that mindset and uh, you're right. I mean, there's, that's why we have these conversations, right? There's definitely not like a one size fits all for everybody. And, you know, we figure it out. So it's just, it definitely is a matter of being honest with yourself and knowing like what we can chew off. And you're right. At the end of the day, it's making those decisions, like being intentional. Like if we're going to intentionally do something, oh, hey, I'm eating my fucking Skittles, but what I'm not doing is going and getting drunk. And I'm intentional and I'm owning that and I'm going to enjoy those Skittles. And if we can own that and and make these, you know, make these small wins, like you said, and stack them up, you're going to have a lot of success
1: for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I was definitely the like the chips I was the sweets and the the salty like I needed sweet and salty Mm -hmm. and that's what I did I, I I went back and forth I'd eat half a bag of chips and then and then half a bag of gummies like I that was that was where my vice went including I and I was still a smoker at the time my first 30 days I smoked at work but not at home okay I lived a whole bunch of separate lives. I lived my life at work. I lived my life at home. And then I lived the life that was separate from work and home. When the shit hit the fan, I got caught. I admitted like I had a problem. That was like the scariest, hardest, most awkwardest, weirdest thing. And also the most liberating thing I've probably ever done. Is just, yeah. Okay. I have a problem. And. In those first 30 days, I think the one thing that helped me out the most was asking for help and being willing to accept it. The longer I get into this journey, the more I realize is asking for help is a lot easier than actually accepting help. Because I can ask for help just fine.
3: Right. You accept help. Desperation cries out to ask for help because it's not even an ask. It's a demand. Right. Me, right. Right, right. rigorous remember we're in America. The world owes me because I'm entitled to help because of whatever. That's the attitude that we right? you know, I've been doing this a little bit. Yeah. So I hear frequently where people are like, you know, the world owes me, but like, what the fuck? And, and and that's not true, of course, but that's the attitude. But except for help and asking were helped two different processes. Like my only problem is running out of drugs. I didn't have a problem, I kept running out of drugs. That was the problem. And I okay. couldn't move. Thailand because I couldn't get a passport. So you know that was the biggest problem in my life. <laughs> other than that, the world would the world needed to change. Remember, the world needed to change to fit my schema. That's what newcomers are going to go through these first thirty days. Is that all of a sudden everything's going to be twisted? It's going to be like, wait a second, there's other people in the world. There's people beyond my eyelids and the end of my hand. There's other people out there that are depending on me. That's what they're going to go through, and they're like, you hey, know. Their coping mechanism, right, now is get high. Yeah. I would Stub- get high. So, cool. like, well, you know, that's what they're doing. So we want to, I mean, I know I do. That's my whole mission is to always carry that message that they can get through those 10 minutes, even with a stubbed toe or when their arms cut off because they're, like, was shit on the roof and they fell off and and they need to wind up, you know, that's the situation. But, yeah. So,
1: so I talk to my family. I let my family know. I was so at the point where I didn't know what to do. I just did. Uh, so I let my family know. And I let my wife's family know. And I actually called my work and I let them know. I can look back now and be like, that was probably a mistake. But it, it I, that's what I did. I didn't lose my job. They were actually really respectful. I'll give them that. I talked to HR but i came right out and i stood right in front of it because i felt like that was the right thing to do was just to stand in front of it and as long as i stood in front of it i i, I thought i could get through it i felt like okay as long as i'm 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 honest about what is wrong because i had a whole, I had a really hard time before that telling the truth the truth meant that i had to admit my shame and guilt, and all of the bad that I had thought I had done didn't end up being near as bad as I thought it was. There's a saying that I heard is this I am nowhere near as important as I think I am. And that one stuck with me because. And it still grows its own new meaning today, right? It's it's about not taking things personally. And if I don't show up to that party, because I basically stopped doing all of the things. I didn't go to friends' places. I stayed home. I went to work and I came back home after that. I was very, I I, I was very limited on anything that I was doing because my concentration was is like just not drink and if i didn't do that i would give myself the opportunity to because i had no idea where i was going i had no idea what recovery looked like other than like not drinking but as soon as i was I, i began talking to people that were trying to overcome the exact same thing that i was trying to overcome and then sharing those experiences and hearing that I wasn't alone and that there was people who had it way freaking more worse than I did. And there was people that had it way better than I did. And, and and they still decided to quit because it wasn't helping them get to where they wanted to go in their life.
0: Yeah, that's similar. So the one thing that I did wrong that I wish I would have done differently I didn't tell anybody in my real life that I had a problem that I was quitting. I kept it all to myself. Like I was so ashamed that I just kept it all inside. What I did write though was I went to a meeting and it wasn't AA. It was it was an online Zoom meeting, but I showed up and talked to a bunch of people who also had trouble quitting alcohol and who were you know on on that journey wherever they were. And like Steve said, didn't feel alone. So um, I'm really glad that I did that. And I still I mean, we still go to meetings. I wish I would have told my family earlier because they would have been nothing but supportive, especially my husband. I didn't tell him I had a problem with alcohol until I was like 60 days sober. He had no idea what I was going through. And if I had just been honest, like when I finally did tell him, he was great. He just wanted to know how he could support me. Um, But I was so ashamed and humiliated and embarrassed and all of that I just couldn't say the words and when I finally did like a weight lifted right and I wish I would have done that earlier because all he did was was ask what he could do to make it easier um, and, and obviously he doesn't understand like he's he's not addicted to anything but you know he had no problem not having alcohol in the house anymore and, and just trying to make it easy on me so I wish I would have done that earlier on.
2: Well, so Julie, he had uh, he had no idea that family and friends really had no idea that you had an alcohol problem.
0: Not at all. I did wow. it so well. Well, done. and I mean, well done, enough. right? I know I, I deserve an applause for my performance, but um, no, I mean, I would we would like you know we'd we'd have a glass of wine or two at dinner. And I would have a bottle of whiskey in the closet and I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to go put this laundry away, Mm -hmm. you know? And then like 30 minutes later, I'd be like, oh, I'm cold. I'm going to go grab a sweater. And I mean, it was ridiculous, but he had no idea. Like most nights I was passed out drunk in bed and he didn't realize that I was.
1: Wow. That was me. I was good. I was good at snoring. So it actually gave me more opportunity to drink
2: That's funny because
1: we ended up sleeping in separate beds. And because we slept in separate beds that means when she went to bed i could still be awake and i could still go and drink and i had my alcohol out in the truck there was a good place that was the place where i had control so i hid bottles of booze in my truck and i'd be like oh man i forgot this out in the truck or i got to take out the recycle or i got to go i would make up an oh man i think we need some mushrooms for dinner Right, and then so I would go to the grocery store to get mushrooms because you know I was gonna make something for dinner that I, you know, chose that night so I could go somewhere because there wasn't much left in the bottle for me to get through the rest of the day. So, like when I admitted it to people at work, nobody had any any idea. When I, my wife did, my friends, my wife did, but she would probably. Like, she was in in the denial phase, right? Like, she knew I had a problem, but there was no way we are going to have that conversation. Yeah. But my friends, when I told them I quit and that I had a problem, they were like, I knew you were a heavy drinker, but I didn't think you had a problem. Like, nobody. Nobody knew that I was, like, a bottle a day or more a drinker at all.
0: How much energy... Did we a time and energy and effort and all of that that we put into drinking, right? Not just the actual drinking, but then the running to the store because I need to pick up mushrooms or whatever. Like I just there's so much time and energy wasted and all of that. And it's so nice to have it back now. You
4: know, one thing that's really for me, because I got sober in the rooms at, down in Key West and it's a part of town, you know, great sobriety down there, though, I'll tell you that. Is that, you know, at first I was like, oh my God, I own a business here. People are going to see me. It's a small town. But one thing I said to myself was, you know what? I'm a good mother. I'm taking care of what I need to do. I didn't care that anybody saw me. And the shame lifted because I knew I was doing a good thing. And, you know, I really believe in the first. 30 days. It's so important to have people around you. Mm-hmm. And I, I I, was so fortunate to have the rooms and it was right around the corner for me, you know, from where I, I, you know, worked or, and it was beautiful. I, that's how I started my day. I started my day in a meeting. And, you know, a lot of times I had a hangover, emotional hangovers. I would go into those meetings and I had hope. And I tell you, that's a great way to start your day every day is to find an early morning meeting because you know what? Those are the people that are doing it because they have a life and they're going to work and, or they're going to school or they're doing something. And it's a really great way to start your day. Well, the other thing about that, just to add, is that I,
3: I, I traded my, my drug use for another human being because what I'm listening to is the isolation that the drugs that, that did. So now I had a part, I had a partner, and there was some mutual accountability. And it wasn't my sponsor. I, but it was a friend that I had met in detox that would tell and we would swap stories and entertain each other with this bullshit of like, oh, I can top that. And we would play that game over and over again because we were around the same. actually, he was older than me. And um, we, we both we looked at each other, and we, this went on for almost a year, right? So we held each other. In high esteem um, for those first thirty days when we were both out of treatment, and um, it hung out and hung out and hung out and went to meetings, and you know I was fortunate enough, of course, I'm in South Florida, so we were outside doing a lot of things that were um, active because it was all that pent up energy that wasn't used when we were actively using, except chasing drugs. That's what the big that was the job. That was my job. I I, that that was my employment was to, to, to so we had all this stuff going on, it and that's what worked. I mean, those first 30 days, when you mentioned, Brandon, about getting through those little milestones, they're so important. And you gave out these key times, right? And you had this whole recognition of your peers. And and, and the meetings aren't for everybody. There's multiple pathways to get and stay in recovery. I'm not here preaching one way is better than the other, because like I said, there's no one-size-fits-all. But the most important thing is to not use, right? However that's achieved, and then things can open up right. right? That's the most important critical part, and ask for help and accept it when you do ask and not be arrogant about it and say, "I got this because there, there is no reason to do that, you know Go ahead. and
4: and one thing that's you know, you're you know, I was alone for a long time, not that there weren't a lot of people around me, mm-hmm. but I didn't know I didn't she was. I didn't know anybody. Then I'd start to go into Publix or whatever, and all of a sudden, when I started, I'd hear Susie. You know, people wouldn't recognize me. It's a small world, and it's beautiful, you know. And it's like you start to know people, and you and the accountability. It, I loved, you know, because I did do AA, even though I did drugs and drink. I went to AA because it was a, It happened to be a strong community down there, and you know those chips I got. That was awesome. I loved that 30 day chip. And the people would clap for me, you know. i yeah. I
0: felt worthwhile. It was the first time I got recognition. It was beautiful. Yeah, you do something and it deserves to be celebrated, right? I think it's really powerful.
3: And and uh-huh. really it's self reinforcing and reinforces itself over and over and over again. And, and yeah. to me seem insignificant that people that don't experience it, uh-huh. but we're not getting it anywhere else except the drug dealer would be really happy to see us. Oh yeah. That would was the validation and that was a recognition. Oh, you're back. Why well, no you're in it. that was, you know, that I mean, that's so convoluted, but so true. And now we're on the other side of it. And 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 again, you can hear here we are. We're, we're gonna to go to dinner here in a few minutes because we're starving, but we're actively involved in this process and no matter how long, it's always this far away. This is what they told me. You're this far away from your next use, how far you can reach. And if I don't put it in my hand, it's certainly not going to get in my body because nobody has ever, ever, ever chased me down the street and made me get high. Ever. Yeah. Absolutely. My money. They chased me down the street for my drawings, but they never chased me down and forced me to use. So if I don't put it in my hands, chances of it getting in my body are really, really slow. So that's the real key to that first 30 days is to stay away from the shit. Just stay away. Don't go to bars. Don't go to old people. Places and things. It's not complicated. It's just do do what you're told, follow direction, be w- be willing to be teachable. Those are the things that I still believe in. That I still try to do every day. Like make my bed. I learned to do that when I was like eight. So I, I never really got past that guy's lecture. I guess you heard that lecture from that general. General, right? Make your bed. Make your bed. Speech. Okay. The, the the commencement speech. Yeah. Very famous, very awesome. And I still teach that as really the most important thing to start our day, you know, whether it's your bed or make your bed and meditate But well, whatever those disciplines are. But again, the first 30 days, you know, wipe your ass, you know, go to a meeting, don't use. I mean, it's not complicated. Not really. Everybody do that.
0: At the end right. of the day, especially in the first 30 days, like your only job is just don't drink. Yeah. Whatever it takes yeah. to get there.
1: Don't no. overcomplicate it right? Yeah. It's so easy to overcomplicate.
2: You know, yeah, it, it is simple. We tend to overcomplicate things as addicts and alcoholics, but yeah, I would just like to air caution that although we want to avoid certain people, places, things, not go to bars, um, you know, there was some mention of, of isolation and that was something that I had gotten really good at doing, you know, while I was active with drugs and alcohol and it was something that I was still resorting to. Even after I got sober, I was like, okay, I'm going to isolate myself because this is safe and then I can be protected and not do drugs and drink. But if we feel lonely, we resort to isolation. Isolation is is a negative behavior. It is something that stems from lower self, right? It's we're taking ourselves out of a situation based off of fear, right? Fear and anxiety is crippling us to stay somewhere, confined somewhere. Now there's the other side of that which is solitude and my mentor described to me I, he he recommended that I you know I embrace solitude I said hey man I don't want to like isolate myself he's no 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 my friend you're misunderstanding I am not telling you to isolate he's like solitude's different that's yep. when you're in, it's, like, it's about your intent yep. so you have to be intentional with your time you should preserve your time your energy and your space enjoy your environment sit there Meditate, plan, craft a mission statement. Right, these are all great behaviors that you can be intentional with your time on for solitude. Don't react if you're reacting to something based off of fear and you're hiding in your house. Now that's isolation, and that's that that will you're compromised, and that'll that'll put you in jeopardy in terms of your recovery. So that was just something I figured I'd, I'd add there. But no, it's a great great conversation around this. It's awesome. Uh-huh.
0: That's something that we talk about, too, is the the isolation and, and solitude, that's something that I bring up a lot. Solitude is absolutely, like, it, it's so important for me. I'm an introvert. I need solitude. I need to recharge. I hike a lot. But it's healthy, right? And, and I think, like you're saying, there's no reason that you have to just stay inside and do nothing. Staying inside and doing nothing is so sad. Yep. And it shouldn't, It shouldn't be that you just have to create new things to do. Right. So if that's hiking or and and for me, a lot of that was during the day. Right. Because at night, everybody wants to go out and drink. So I found things Mm -hmm. to do during the day or meet with a friend and go have coffee. You know, most normal people don't drink at noon. Um, so you could yep. probably find a friend who would be happy to just go out for coffee. That was news to me at some point. I was like, oh, oh we that can't go you down. Know? <laughs> oh, it's amazing. But Wait, what? Yeah, really normal people point. don't drink at noon? Right. Yeah, it's
2: crazy. No, it's really wild. Like, even connecting <laughs> with people that aren't in recovery, that, like, aren't addicts or alcoholics, and yeah. they're like, yeah, I just don't drink. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, we never would have hung out in college. I was like, you know what drink. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, oh, so you're like, you're like a drug addict or something, right? They're like, no, dude, I just, you know, it really wasn't for me, and I'd rather do other things, you know. And I'm like, uh, I know now, but I, I don't understand why you don't do that if you don't have a problem. But all right, sounds good, but you can have these relationships with people now, and you're like, holy shit, there really are people out here that just like don't like to get fucked up, like, you know, yeah, it's
0: Is one of those people who can buy a six pack of beer. And there will still be four of them in there at the end of the month. And I'm just like, I, I, I just can't, like, like, it's just fascinating to me, but it's just not, it just doesn't appeal to him. And yeah, I'm not that way. That, that would not have ever been me ever.
1: All right. So I will wrap it up. We had an awesome conversation here, guys. I really appreciate everything. Everything you all brought to the table one of the common themes i got from all of you here was that you can get through it i can get through it of course it's easier said than done but how did we do that we talked about having a willingness to try we talked about finding support either at home or locally or friends and one of the things i do want to mention here too is is there is a whole bunch of support online where you can get the support you need we got the support that that we needed through uh zoom or online friendships that 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 develop it's incredible what's what covid has done to open those doors to all paths of recovery and all paths of support and Brandon you mentioned quitting is something good that you're doing for you we all echoed that is when we quit whatever substance it is that we're going to try and commit to quit to it's actually a gift to ourselves like that new year's resolution is like i'm, I'm going to quit alcohol for 30 days that is a gift to yourself both physically mentally and your relationships and everything else so if you're listening to this right now and This is your new year's resolution. Congratulations. I really hope you stick with it. And I really hope that it's something that you find valuable because it's changed all of our lives. And I'm going to finish off with this because this was absolutely really good. Brendan, you said, I don't believe that people quit drugs and alcohol to be miserable. You're deciding that it's a new year's resolution because you know something needs to change. So I wish you all the best of luck at the beginning of 2024. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you, Jonas. And thank you, Suzanne. Really appreciate your thoughts and time.
2: Yeah, thank you. I know you are. Thanks everyone. We'll talk Thanks soon. I'll catch much. up with you
1: guys.
0: Sounds yeah. good. Thanks guys.
1: Thank you so much to our listeners for sharing this space with us today. We hope you've gained some hope and inspiration to keep going on this path you've chosen. Don't forget to check the show notes where we've linked other episodes that will help you on your sober journey.